Welcome to Exodus, California. I'm your host, Joanne Kraft, and my husband, Paul, will be your co-host as we share our story about how we left California and made our home in the rolling hills of Tennessee. Exodus, California is a podcast for Californians who've had enough and are getting ready to pull the trigger and make that move out of a state they once loved. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Exodus, California, moving to Tennessee. I am your host, Joanne Kraft, and I am here with my co-host and husband, Paul Kraft. Hey, y'all. We are really happy you are here. It's taken us a little while to get back on the air, but we are back with a very fun episode. I think one that you guys are all going to love. Because it's one that we get common questions on. And as far as being happy you're here, we don't have any idea where you're at. I don't know if we should be happy or not. Maybe you're in a good place. Maybe you're in a bad place. I don't know. We're happy you're listening wherever you're at, but I'm not certain we're happy that you're here. And what I wanted to do before we even get started in talking about our podcast episode today, I wanted to thank those of you who have been so gracious uh, to review our podcast on iTunes and to share our podcast on the Facebook groups that you follow. We really, really appreciate that. Yeah, it means a lot to us when you guys uh, take the time to review it, uh, post it on Facebook groups, uh, do all kinds of social media stuff. Uh, It does mean a lot to us, and we uh, thank you very much. So I wanted to kind of shout out to two people who uh, are most recent on the iTunes review, and first one is Suds Chick. And this review says, Exactly the info we needed. This podcast is the best I've found, giving practical information needed to make the decision to move to Tennessee. More, please give us more. So we're trying to do anyway. The next review is from J28482, and this reviewer says, All the info we could need. This podcast answers all the questions that only locals would have the answers to. Better yet, they make the comparison as former California residents. It's been so helpful to get additional information and find new things to research for ourselves. Love, love this. Thank you very much, and that username sounds like something from Star Wars, so uh, apparently I have listeners on Tatooine. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Got one more view here. Oh. Hot off the presses. Ooh. This is the best podcast I've ever listened to. That guy's voice is awesome. He's also super smart. Love mom. Oh, wait. We'll edit that last part out. So we are going to be talking today about, and actually Paul and I were arguing, <clears throat> I mean debating, about the title of this episode, which we don't know what it'll be yet, but I think your title idea is very boring. Which, what did you say it would be? Very informational. The title of this podcast is New Homes versus Existing Homes versus Land. Okay, that is very boring. But it's informational. It tells you exactly what you need to know. I thought the episode title should be Landing a Home in Tennessee, What to Do and What to Expect. Well, first of all, we're not piloting homes. There's no home to land. That is like a J.R.L. Tolkien mystery destination in the land of the hobbits. So, no. Landing a home in Tennessee, that makes total sense. And what to do and what to expect. So, we'll figure it out. But you're, come on, new construction versus pre-existing versus land. Right. It's a perfect way to start season (sighs) 48.623. Boring. I'm asleep. So, we are going to start with um, pre-existing homes and talking about what that looks like out here. Because for many of you, uh, the real estate market... You are in California, most of our listeners. We do have listeners in Idaho and Washington. We have listeners all over, which has been very cool. Oregon, Colorado. But uh, you are wanting to know what our real estate market is like out here. 
Okay, we've got three states down for listeners, 47 to go, or 49 if you uh, count 52 states somehow, like our former President Obama did once. Um, so anyway, we're excited about the listeners that we have. Uh, and yeah, this is a topic that we get asked about all the time. Uh, it's kind of one of the first things that we talk about when we meet with people. What are you looking for? Are you looking for a new build? Are you looking for an existing home? Are you looking for land? So um, yeah, I think this uh, podcast will help answer some of those questions up front uh, for you guys. Okay, so for those of you who are on Zillow and Redfin an awful lot, looking at houses, these little charmers on acreage. I'm starting to think some of you neglect your children. You're looking on Zillow so much. I know. Uh, just remember, for one, Zillow is not accurate. I repeat, Zillow and Redfin, I should say, are not timely. They are an aggregator that is delayed. Well, to me, Zillow is like the address to the baseball park. It'll get you to the park but it won't help you find your particular seat. So it's a good overview. It's a good way, again, to get to the park. But if you're looking for specific seats, Zillow's not your best option. No. So we're going to talk about pre-existing homes. And if, for some reason, you just jumped to this episode and you have no idea who we are and somebody's making you listen to this podcast... Then go back and listen. Don't <laughs> cheat yourself. We have a real estate company. Maplewood Realty is the name of our company. And uh, Paul is a licensed broker. And I am his trusty sidekick. And uh, what would you call me? Transaction coordinator. Transaction coordinator. Yeah. And so we handle Middle Tennessee and we have realtors that we can refer you to in lots of areas out here. So if you are interested in looking at landing in this area, email us at movingtotennessee at gmail.com. Movingtotennessee at gmail.com and we can help you make Tennessee home. So pre-existing homes, Paul, I'm going to ask you, what's the first step? I just, I just saw something on Zillow. I am in California and I've decided our family is on board. We're going to move to Tennessee and we want this house we just saw, Paul. Step one, ask a shorter question. Step two, uh, get pre-approved. That, that's going to be the key. It, well, I should say get pre-approved or have proof of funds. No seller is going to look at your offer unless we can send them a bank statement showing you've got cash in the bank to pay for the house or you have a pre-approval or pre-qualification letter from a lender. Now keep in mind, this lender does not need to be in Tennessee. As long as they're licensed in Tennessee, then uh, they can do the loan. And there are plenty of lenders that are licensed in multiple states. So if you already have a pre-approval letter from somebody in California who's also licensed in Tennessee, that's perfectly fine. So proof of funds or pre-approval letter. We have two specific mortgage uh, lenders that we love to work with. Uh, one is uh, affiliated with Churchill Mortgage here. The other, uh, and he's been, he grew up out here, so he is a great uh, resource. The other is uh, someone who actually moved from California to Tennessee, and he is with Bay Equity. And so we have two mortgage lenders that we love to work with that are great with our clients. We get rave reviews about them. So if you don't have a pre-approval letter yet, uh, reach out to us and we'll put you in touch with them. And when I talk about cash in the bank, you know, having cash in the bank versus pre-approval letter, that means actually cash in the bank. We have had some clients who say, well, I'm going to be selling something or I'm going to be cashing out this particular part of my retirement plan and I'll have cash in the bank by the time we close. That's not what sellers are looking for. They want to see that you've got a liquid bank statement, a savings account, a checking account, a money market where you can walk into the bank today, get that money out and, and buy the home. So the other option that you have uh, when you're talking about getting a pre-approval letter there are some lenders, and, and Churchill Mortgage is one of them that Duran just mentioned, that can put you through full underwriting. 
So they put you through the entire underwriting process, and then basically what they do is they plug the appraisal of the house you select and the address of the home you select, and everything else, 90% of it is done by that point. So it's a way to speed up the process, which allows you to give a shorter close time. And I believe Bay Equity, our person with Bay Equity can also do that as well. Okay. And so that's very, very helpful because when it comes to purchasing a home, it makes your offer that much stronger if you are fully underwritten, underwritten, not not as strong as a cash offer, but stronger than a pre-approval letter, correct? Yeah. And so and I would guess most lenders can do full underwriting. So when you call your lender up, say, hey, can you put me through full underwriting even though I don't have a house yet? And that's one way to kind of speed things up. But we've also had people who have expected us to reach out to their mortgage lender in another state to follow up with their letters. And that that's not what we do. We don't we don't know your backstory about your finances. That's what the mortgage lender is for. And once they get you that letter, which takes what? It can just take a few days, sometimes a few hours. Yeah, sometimes as quick as a few hours. Yeah, it doesn't take that long. That's up to you to get it to us, uh, your realtors and or your realtor in Paul. Now you have your pre-approval cash, fully underwritten. The next thing you need before you make an offer is you're going to need to have money set aside for an earnest money deposit. Basically, an earnest money deposit is money that you're going to give to the closing attorney, the escrow company, to hold on to as good faith deposit towards the purchase of the home. Now, if you cancel the agreement for a reason that you're not allowed to cancel for, there are several reasons you can cancel. But if you cancel for a reason you're not allowed to cancel for, the seller gets to keep that earnest money deposit. And so you're going to have to have that money set aside and ready to pay over within three days. You need to have that money set aside already. How much you should have set aside for an earnest money deposit will vary from transaction to transaction. But generally speaking, you're looking at about $5,000 as an earnest money deposit. That's a pretty good amount to have set aside and ready to transfer over within three days of signing the contract. Okay, so I have my pre-approval letter or I have the cash in the bank. I've got my earnest money deposit. I have looked on Zillow and found my Tennessee Charmer. I have found that house. Now what do I do? Well, the first thing we do is we go on to the MLS and we check and see the status of that property. Because Zillow will sometimes show a property as being active when in fact it's coming soon, meaning that the seller is not currently letting anybody look at the house or they're not currently taking offers. And so we have to find out what that day is. Sometimes Zillow will show a property active and it's actually already gone under contract. And so we can't even make an offer on that one. So the first thing to do is check the status of the home to make sure it's still available or going to be available and when for you to make an offer. The next thing to do is in the MLS, the listing agent representing the seller will put instructions in there sometimes about what the seller wants in an offer. So sometimes the seller will say, hey, I want to close within 30 days, but I need to stay there for another 60 days after we close and I'm not going to pay any rent for that. I'm going to stay there for free. Well, that's something important for you to know as a buyer before we even make an offer is can you afford to have somebody living in a house and not paying any rent for 60 days or we recently saw one where the earnest money deposit the five thousand dollars that you put down as earnest money deposit that becomes non-refundable when the offer is accepted meaning that even if you cancel the agreement for a perfectly legitimate reason that five thousand dollars goes to the seller you never get that back under any circumstances I don't think that's a good deal for the buyer. Uh, in fact, we had that situation come up and, and we told the buyer not to make an offer on that property for that very reason, because it wasn't advantageous to the buyer, even in this very strong seller's market. 
I would recommend working with an agent before you get to the Zillow point. And it is nice to have a relationship with an agent that can help walk you through the, you know, getting your approval letter. So you at least have some rapport with that agent before you, you know, start going out and looking. Yeah. Once you decide that wherever it is you want to live, whether it's Tennessee, some other state, Middle Eastern, Western Tennessee, you should definitely talk to a mortgage broker and a real estate agent first before you even really start looking so you know what you're looking for. Because you may be thinking, hey, I want an $800,000 house. And the mortgage broker says, well, you only qualify for 500000 Or you may be thinking, I want to live in this particular area. And you talk to the realtor and the realtor goes, based on what you're telling me, that is not an area that fits your criteria. However, this area over here is. So before you go running all over you know, Zillow looking at everything, talk to a mortgage broker. Make sure you know what you qualify for. Talk to a realtor so you know what areas are going to fit what it is that you're looking for. And do your due diligence. Uh, you know, we have, you know, when clients are moving to Tennessee and you can live anywhere in the whole state, you're looking across the whole state. You know, try and narrow things down by how far you want to be from the airport, how far you want to be from hospitals, from you know, grocery stores, and then choose a narrow spot. Uh, be kind to your agent because your agent isn't going to drive three hours. You know, make sure when you look at those towns, you see how far apart they are, you know, so you can use the same agent for those locations. Well, and that's also why we've partnered with agents, you know, across Tennessee, because if it's an area that we don't service, because we don't know every market in Tennessee, uh, but if it's someplace like Knoxville, you're thinking, oh, I want to live in the in the mountains and I want to have more of a Sierra Nevada Tahoe type lifestyle, then Knoxville is probably the place for you. We have agents in Knoxville we can refer you to that know that market, that know that area, and that can help you out. Johnson City, Chattanooga, all over. So yeah, we can definitely help you with that, and we do want to help you with that. Uh, So we're now at the point, Paul, we're getting ready to have our inspections. Can we talk about inspections? First, you have to clear the, the biggest hurdle, which is getting your offer accepted. In this market... There are multiple offers being made on the properties. So once you make your offer, typically there's about a 48-hour time period until you get a response back. So 48 hours, that's the typical amount of time? About there. Okay, so can you explain real quick before we get our offer accepted, uh, what is a seller's market and is Tennessee having one of those right now? Yeah, so seller's market is where the bargaining power rests with the seller. Most markets are either seller's markets or buyer's markets. They tend to you know, fluctuate from one to the other, and sometimes they're pretty much imbalanced, but you're always going to have a market that's a little bit one way or the other. Back in 07, 08, 09, it was a buyer's market. Buyers could set the terms, and it's whatever buyers wanted. They pretty much got. Well, now we've gone completely opposite, and it's sellers dictating the terms. And you really don't have a lot of options because if you don't want that house or you go under contract and do some inspections and decide that you know you don't really care for the condition of the house there's three four five other people waiting behind you to buy that house in as is condition so that's what a seller's market is uh some sellers like we mentioned earlier uh, once you close escrow they're going to live there for 60 days for free that's one of their terms now you don't have to accept those terms but somebody else will and so that's what a seller's market is the buyer has almost no bargaining power for our clients, and we have gotten a lot of clients in homes out here in, in one of the purest seller's markets that we have ever experienced. And it may take a little while. It may take a few up to bats making offers and losing offers, but they do get in. 
the one thing that gives the client that, that we work with a better opportunity of landing a home, I found, is a wider net. If they cast a wider net and they don't have a narrow, um, you know, parameters, if they actually say, you know what, we're looking for this, but we are fine landing here. And you know what, then we'll stay here for a little while, wait it out. And then if we want to move into our dream home later, that seems to be what's happening in order for them to land in a seller's market. What are your thoughts on that? That's true of anything. I mean, if you tell me you want a pickup truck, I can get you a pickup truck. But if you tell me you want a 2021 Chevy Silverado 4x4 high country blue with tan interior, uh, black rims, and the uh, lighted up emblem on the front, going to take a little bit more work and time and effort and probably cost a little bit more money because it's just a very narrow uh, search. So yeah, the, the more that you can expand your search horizon, uh, the, the more likely you are to hit a target. The most discouraged buyers are the ones that have the most narrow parameters and they're immovable about it and that's been very hard to watch and it's only it, really the people are landing it's just taking a while and they're changing their plan a lot of times and they're getting here uh, one of the things i would say is this in this market be flexible be ready to adjust your plan uh you know be ready to you know make some changes and accommodations in order to ultimately get in the market and land where you want to land if your goal is to move to tennessee then you might not get your dream house when you get here. But you get into the market, you start to build up that equity, you start to pay down that mortgage if you have a mortgage, and then two, three years from now, you might be ready to move on that dream property and you'll be better acclimated to Tennessee and able to uh, better target your uh, search. Exactly, and that's right. a great thing. We wanted to talk about now how our offer has been accepted, and that's an exciting time. Yes, and then that's when the work begins. That's when a lot of work begins. So let's talk about inspections. So once your offer is accepted, you typically have about 10 days to do inspections. You can do whatever inspections you want to do. Um, you can have a whole home inspection, radon, infrared, sewer scope, a roof inspection, whatever you want. You have 10 days to do it. You pay for all the inspections. So the buyer pays for whatever inspections they want to do. At a minimum, you should have a home a whole home inspection and a termite inspection. At a minimum, you should do those inspections. Now, depending on the age of the home, you might do a radon, you might have the roof inspected. Those are things that the home inspector can reveal to you, but at a minimum, whole home inspection and termite inspection. What if I don't want an inspection? I want this house so bad, I don't want an inspection. I just want this house. You will do it against my advice and guidance. Yeah, we actually had that happen. That's the reason I asked where we lost a offer because the uh, other offer just waived all home inspections on a very old house. Would you ever do that? No. And even on, not even on an older house, we had a, a client, we made an offer on a house and we found some major structural damage that wasn't readily apparent from just walking around the house. So at the time we made the offer, we weren't aware of these things. Had they just waived inspections, they would have been stuck buying a house that would have had some significant structural problems that they would have had to address at probably a pretty good expense. So no, I, I never suggest waiving inspections ever. Ever, never, ever. And don't, uh, I wouldn't have my agent do that either. So once the inspections are done and you've had a chance to review them, you basically have three options at that point. One is if there were problems found, uh, you have the right to cancel the agreement. So you can, uh, within that 10 days, tell the seller, hey, we did our inspections. We found these particular problems. We don't want to buy the house. We're canceling the agreement. You get your earnest money deposit back. The other option is, 
hey, you know, we did our inspections and we're happy with the house. Even if there are problems, we're happy with it. We're okay with the problems. And so we're going to go ahead and take the house in its as-is condition. That's option two. At that point, you remove your inspection contingency and you move towards closing. Option three is you can go back to the seller and say, hey, we found these problems and we would either like you to fix them or we would like you to reduce the purchase price or we would like you to give us a credit to offset the cost of the repairs that we're going to have to do. I will tell you, as we mentioned earlier, you're in the strongest seller's market I have ever seen. Realistically, sellers are not doing credits. They're not doing repairs. They're not reducing the purchase price. They're basically just telling you, you can take it as is, or you can cancel. Because the seller knows, if you cancel, there's another buyer waiting that will come in and take the house with those problems, and the seller can still get the same price that you offered. And for our clients that are using us out of state, that isn't as big of a deal to them. But those clients that are here living in a rental or in a tra- you know, at a campground while they wait for to get a house, the pressure's on for them to find something. And, and they don't want to be in a hotel or an Airbnb forever. But that's where you need to kind of remove the emotion from it a little bit. And sometimes it's okay to let that house go because the problems that you're going to buy are not worth, you know, the emotion of getting out of that hotel or getting into a home because you feel like you're going to miss it. Because some of those problems can be pretty significant. So that's the purpose of doing inspections. But you will find a difference here in Tennessee with inspections. We did one, we were at one today for a client and it is surprising to see all, you know, they go over everything. And I, and I had told our client, Hey, I don't want you to get stressed out, but you're going to see a lot of things. And that, you know, we will talk to you about the ones that are very, very important that you cannot ignore and the ones that they just have to do their due diligence on an old home. And so I was grateful that um, we were there and able to go, okay, this is something that's very important. This is something that's not that important. And that was a good thing. One of the inspections you can have done is a sewer scope inspection where the inspector basically runs a camera Usually from the toilet, it goes down the toilet all the way out to the street. And they've got a camera on there and they can inspect the entire inside of the sewer line to make sure there's no cracks, roots, infestations, things like that. And they post that to YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and search for sewer scope, you can see the sewer scopes they post. I don't know why they put them on YouTube, but it just goes to prove there's a lot of crap on the internet. Okay, so we have gone from the inspections, everything else is looking fine, the house is looking good. How long until I close? What if I wanna close in 15 days, can I do that? Well, now it gets pushed back onto your lender. So if you're an all cash buyer, then yes, you're ready to close at that point. If, if you're happy with inspections, uh, you're happy with the house, you decided to take it in its current condition, or, or you've negotiated some repairs, you're ready to close, you've got cash, that can be done a couple of days if you are financing it, then it falls back onto your lender. And it's really going to come down to how quickly your lender can move on their end. One of the big holdups right now is appraisals. Appraisals are taking a long time to get done. If you're financing a property, I don't care how much you're putting down, almost every time you're going to need an appraisal. There are times where you get an appraisal waiver, but most of the time you're going to have to have an appraisal done. And those are taking a little bit of time. So before you can close, the appraisal needs to be done. And then there's some other disclosures that need to go out before you can actually close on that property. So tell me, Paul, with this kind of market and people just throwing some crazy money, making crazy offers, what if the house doesn't appraise for my offer? Well, here's one of the things you have to decide to make your offer is you can make the offer contingent on the appraisal. 
either reaching a certain value at the purchase price, or you can waive the appraisal contingency. So if you keep the appraisal contingency in place, what you're saying is, if this house does not appraise for what I'm offering, then I get to cancel the agreement, get my earnest money back. So let's say you offer $500,000 for a house, the appraisal comes in at 490, then you can tell the seller, I don't wanna buy it, you cancel the agreement, you get your earnest money deposit back. Now keep in mind from the seller's standpoint, that makes your offer weaker than an offer that waives the appraisal contingency. And in this market right now, with people offering over ask, especially by so much, the property most of the time won't appraise for what you're offering because the appraisal can really only be based on comparable sales that have actually closed. They can't look at homes that are pending. They can't look at what you're offering for the property. They have to look at what homes have actually sold that are comparable to the one that you're trying to purchase. If you waive the appraisal contingency, what you're saying is, I don't care what this home appraises for, I'm going to buy it. So again, let's say you offer $500,000 on a house, the appraisal comes in at 450, if you've waived the appraisal contingency, you're still agreeing to buy it. What does that mean? That means you're gonna have to come in to close with more cash than if it had appraised at 500. Because what the appraisal does is it sets the maximum value that the mortgage company will lend you. So let's say the mortgage company has said, we will lend you 80% of the appraised value. So now if you have a house that appraises at 500,000 and you can borrow 80%, then you have to borrow 400,000, so you have to come into close with $100,000 in cash in order to close that transaction. Same thing, but now let's say you offered 550 on that property. It appraises at 500, that means a mortgage company will give you 400, so now you have to come into close with $150,000 in order to close that transaction. So waiving the appraisal contingency doesn't mean you won't be able to buy the house, it just means that you may have to come into close with more cash than you originally planned. Yeah, and that's very helpful to know because it's happening often out here, often. And one of the things you should discuss with your mortgage lender, and both our mortgage lenders that we recommend are well-versed in this, have what they call an appraisal gap plan in place. So in other words, hey, if there is an appraisal gap, in other words, the property appraises for less than what you're offering, then you have a plan in place to close that gap. Mm -hmm. And waiving the appraisal makes your offer a stronger offer than somebody that has an appraisal contingency in place. And real quick, just a little aside, when you make your offer, a lot of times we're hearing from clients, should I write a letter? We call these love letters. And we recommend no. No. Do not do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. In this market, here's the thing. I should say almost any time. It can be the reason you don't get the house and it's not worth the risk. We had uh, some clients who sold a home in California and the business that the uh, seller was in, uh, they got an offer from someone in the same kind of business in another city. Well, because the seller knew of the reputation of this other business in the other city, they, they didn't like the reputation of the other business in, other, in the other city. And so what the offer, the person offering the money thought was going to cause some of this great camaraderie instead was the nail in the coffin. And so we tell our clients, do not write a love letter. Only write a love letter if you're going to write it on the back of $100 bills. Otherwise, they don't work. That's right. Uh, money talks, not a love letter. All right. So now we've gotten to the point where you've done your inspections, you're happy with the house, your appraisals come back and, and it either appraised at purchase price or you didn't need appraisal because you're paying cash or you filled that appraisal gap. 
What happens now? Well, now your mortgage lender has to get some final disclosures out if you're financing. Again, if you're paying cash, you're ready to close. Your mortgage lender has to get some disclosures out. I don't want to step on the mortgage lender's sh uh, toes here, but you know they have some statutory requirements that they have to meet in order to close your loan. And I know everybody wants to close their loan quickly, but the federal government, in the interest of looking out for you, because apparently as an adult that drives a car and feeds yourself and clothes yourself, you're not capable of making other financial decisions on your own, they've required that the lender give you certain disclosures way ahead of time because, gosh forbid, you actually be an adult. So the federal government's put restrictions on them. In case you haven't picked it up, I'm not a big fan of those restrictions. But don't get mad at your mortgage lender when they say, hey, we have to give you these three days. We have to give you these disclosures and we have to wait three days. So be patient with your mortgage lender. They want to close that loan probably worse than you do, but they're somewhat handcuffed by Big Daddy and Mommy federal government. And and just before we close, well, actually, it, before the house closes, here's what we hear a lot from clients. Because their house, it may take a few more, or I, I should say, even this should even go back for the offer. When they make the offer and before we even hear about the offer, they want to make a backup offer on another house. That's another little aside that I just thought of. What do you do when your client goes, hey, I'm waiting to hear back from the offer. I want to make an offer on another house. Well, unless you have the money to buy two homes, then you don't make an offer on a second home. You wait for your one offer to either get accepted or rejected. Because if you make an offer on house A today, and then you make an offer on house B tomorrow, and they both get accepted tomorrow afternoon, you're now under contract to buy two homes. Meaning that you've got to cancel one and either pay a penalty or you buy both houses. So once you make the offer, wait until you get a response back one way or the other. And I would say do not look at Zillow when you're when you're waiting to hear back from an offer. We have heard from other agents that this has happened to them numerous times where their clients have had an offer about ready to get either hopefully accepted or rejected, but they have had their clients, they have had their agent pull back that offer and then they end up losing both houses. So be patient and don't look at Zillow when you're, offer, you're waiting to hear back on that offer. Yeah, when you're sobering up from Zillow, don't continue to get Zillow drunk. Okay, so back to our closing. We're getting ready to close, and they do something a little different out here, Paul. The closing, it's a closing attorney, correct? Yeah, so California, if you bought a house in California uh, or pretty much anywhere on the West Coast, they use title companies and escrow companies there. Uh, here in Tennessee and on the East Coast, they primarily use closing attorneys. So uh, when it comes to the close, you don't have to be there for that. Uh, they can do remote closing. So they can send the documents to a notary close to where you live. The notary meets you at your office or your home. You sign the papers. The notary ships the documents back. So it is possible to close on your home and not be in the state of Tennessee. You don't have to physically be here for the close. If you are here, then you actually go to the attorney's office and they will have all the paperwork there and you'll sign there. And the attorney's job is to make sure that they have all of your paperwork and money appropriately done. Make sure the seller has all their documents appropriately done. And the closing attorney, because they're a neutral third party, they're not on your side, they're not on the seller's side, uh, their job is to make sure that those documents get swapped. And the swap doesn't happen until everything is in place on both sides. So they don't give the seller the money until the seller has signed their documents. Likewise, they don't give you title to the home until you've signed your documents and provided your money. So that's what the closing attorney's job is. So while we use the term closing attorney, it's not like you might think of an attorney who represents you or represents them. A closing attorney really is a neutral third party. It's just here we use attorneys instead of title companies. 
So again, if you're looking for a real estate company to work with and a company that understands exactly what you're going through, moving from another state into Tennessee, you want to use Maplewood Realty, email movingtotennessee at gmail.com. That's movingtotennessee at gmail.com. And we can help you make Tennessee home. And one final point, if you email craftrealestate at gmail.com, we know you haven't listened to enough podcasts. That was the email we used for like the first three. So if you're emailing to that one, then we know you haven't made it this far. We're on to you. Don't tell us you've listened to all the podcasts. We know who you are. I thought that this was going to be all in one podcast, but I really think we need to make this another podcast. So all that drivel. (laughs) That means we're going back to my title. And we're going to even shorten that up to saying buying an existing home. My title wins. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. If you want to learn about purchasing new construction, and yes, you should have a real estate agent for this, people, and we'll tell you why in the next episode. So if you're interested in new construction or buying land and building on it, that will be our next podcast. So stay tuned for season 48.763. I hate your jokes so bad. I hate them so bad. Stop. Exactly. Nope, don't say that. All right, dear, barbecue's ready.